Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn here from a sodden, raining Wiltshire. Hello, it's Richard Heller from a cold, damp, but not actually raining South East London. And today we have a remarkable guest. I'm enormously proud and honoured that Goha Gilani, a very distinguished and brave journalist from Kashmir, uh, he's going to be speaking to us today from Srinagar, is going to come on and talk to us about cricket in Kashmir. And of course, the timing is perfect to go along with the very exciting England tour of, of, of India, where Goha has been giving some quite uh, caustic comments, I've, uh, I've noticed. He's a very distinguished cricket writer, among any other things. Kashmir, of course, has been a, uh, um, a delicate situation ever since the legacy of, of British rule and partition in the in 1947 and the year, years after that. There have been many political tensions ever since, and perhaps most of all, perhaps it's, Kashmir has entered its most difficult time since the Modi government revoked Article 370 and ended Kashmiri autonomy about two years ago, and then um, followed by a full amazing 550 days when there were there was no internet, there have been major restrictions on free speech. And Goha himself, uh, you, you can read about him on the Human Rights Defenders website. It describes him as a well-known journalist, author and commentator whose writing shines a light on the lives and struggles of marginalised groups and provides an honest account of their stories. He wrote a book, much praised, Kashmir, Rage and Reason, published in 2019. He's been published in the BBC, Deutsche Welle, Deutsche German World, that is to say, The Telegraph, Race and Class, India Today, and many other publications. Welcome, Goha. How lovely of you to come on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. It has been a privilege uh, to be in your show. It's it's a great honor for me to uh, you know be a participant and uh, you know to uh, learn from each other and to know from each other more and more. So I'm very excited for this conversation. We've been uh, friends for many years now. Uh, Gohar's played for your cricket team, I think, Richard. Yes, he, he did. Uh, we're very glad to have him. Don't think he delivered us a victory, but that's no fault of his. More recently, he made a much more distinguished um, appearance in a um, in a losing final in uh, Srinagar. Would you like to uh, blow your own trumpet and tell us a bit about that, Gauha? Uh, yeah, it was uh, basically it was not played in Srinagar. It was played in uh, South Kashmir. It's an area called Kriu, which is uh, a very picturesque place uh, in South Kashmir, uh, roughly thirty-five kilometers from where I live in Srinagar. So all, uh, you know, gr- um, good teams from all across Kashmir participated. And, uh, you know, surprisingly and interestingly, there were Ranji players who have represented uh, Kashmir at the Ranji level and who have also played, you know, at, at other levels, uh, club levels. So it was a good mixture of youngsters and people with experience. So it was a very well-contested and well-fought tournament. And our team uh, also had some stars uh, like Samuel Labeg, who has represented Ranji cricket for 15 years. 
So it was a very well fought finals, which was a close nail biting finish in the last over. Unfortunately, we ended up on the losing side that day. Um, I recall you're an off-spin bowler and I think a middle-order batsman. Yes. What was what contribution did you make to the final? I for for major part of the tournament, I was uh, the highest wicket taker uh, in two tournaments. I had taken 21 wickets in six matches, and in this one, I also took like roughly 20 wickets in six matches. So I was doing very well with the ball and batting because our frontline batsmen were so uh, playing so hard. It was uh, very nice partnerships were being forged between the openers and unfortunately I couldn't uh, get many opportunities with the bat because our top order was doing great guns so yeah <laughs> tell us um let's move on now Goha to the cricketing heritage of Kashmir it's not thought of as uh, as a great cricketing center is it is that a, is that a fair perception I think uh, in terms of passion in terms of love for the game I think Kashmir is second to none. As you know that in India and Pakistan and even in Bangladesh, cricket is treated as a religion. And this it's no different in Kashmir. Although like we also have a lot of fan following for football. But you're right in your uh, perception uh, that uh, in terms of producing good cricketers, um, Kashmir has not done exceedingly well. But in terms of passion and having talent, uh, there's no dearth of talent. But because of other reasons which you uh, know and which we we can allude to uh, at a later stage. We'll come on. Yes, we'll come on to the uh, cricketers that Kashmir has produced. But let's go back into history. Tell us a little bit about the Maharaja of Jammu and Kashmir. Now, as I recollect, the history of Kashmir is that the Brit, the British, sold Kashmir. Isn't that right? Absolutely. To, uh, even though it was a largely Muslim part of the world, it sold Kashmir to um, a Hindu Maharaja. Is that a fact? assessment of the situation what happened? his his name was maharaja gulab singh maharaja gulab singh was a sikh ruler who was from the dogra dynasty ah, sikh, and yeah. um, he got kashmir it's it's called uh, in urdu it's known as bainamai amritsar which uh, when roughly translated into english means treaty of amritsar uh, this treaty happened in amritsar in punjab uh, where Kashmir was sold, you know, by the British to this Maharaja Gulab Singh, and uh, it the then the currency was Nanakshahi. It was seventy five lakh seventy five hundred thousand Nanakshahi for seventy five hundred thousand Kashmiris. So it included all parts which are now under Pakistan's administration, like Gilgit and Baltistan, or the part that Pakistan calls Azad Kashmir and India calls Pak occupied Kashmir, and this part of Kashmir Valley and the Chinab Valley and also Jammu Plains. So this entire region was sold to Maharaja Gulab Singh. Yes, that's a fair assessment. So they, they were sold essentially. They've, therefore, this, they were an alien dynasty. They didn't have local roots, did they? Yes. No. No. They were not locals. The economic condition of the locals in that era was pathetic. Mostly, Kashmiris were artisans. They were working as uh, you know workers. So there was bonded labor was in uh, vogue. People were in a very, very dejected condition economically. So the first thing before the political awakening, there was economic awakening that took place. Uh, but these Maharaja Gulab Singh and then Pratap Singh and Hari Singh later on. So th they were uh, aliens, uh, you know, they were uh, referred to as Dogra dynasty, who were very unpopular among the local population because but they enjoyed uh, power. And they were the ones who were calling the shots. And Kashmiris were, you know, the local population, the netizens. They were very marginalized and had lots of problems economically as well as politically but and the socially. Maharaja Pratap Singh in particular, 
um, who was Maharaja from 1885 to 1925. He was keen cricketer, wasn't he? Yes, yes. But he played under his own rules, didn't he? There was was some elitism about uh, the manner in which he played cricket because uh, he was someone who wouldn't like to be uh, bold and, uh, you know, normally people out of fair would throw dollies at him so that he could play his shots, cover drives and straight drives and hit people for sixes and embarrass them. Uh, So there was no one who could actually bowl good bowls to him. But he was very passionate about cricket. But uh, later on, Maharaja Hari Singh, he played golf, but he did not play cricket. But yes, Maharaja Pratap Singh did play cricket. A lot of cricket. He had a famous boast, didn't he, to Ranjit Sinji, didn't he, once? He asked Ranji if he'd been out for a duck, and Ranji said yes, and the <laughs> Maharaja uh, Pratap Singh said, well, I never have. Which isn't surprising, considering the bowling that was offered. Yeah, we, he would be summoned. Uh, he didn't like fielding, I think. Yes. He would be well, summoned to bat. Been. He would wait till his innings. He'd be sitting in his uh, summer house or something. And, he, and the phone would ring and he, it would say, it's your time, your grace or your highness to <laughs> come into bat. And he would be driven in his Rolls Royce to uh, down to the ground where he would then put on his kit and uh, stri- stride to the middle. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you have done a lot of homework on uh, Maharaja Pratap Singh's cricketing, uh, you know, his enthusiasm uh, with the game. Absolutely. I mean, he was someone who was uh, like, uh, not only was he the ruler, but uh, there was some elite uh, air about him. And he would not like that someone would actually go on to bowl him or, you know, get better of him. So he always was the boss. I think some of this may have um, rubbed off on on Nawaz Sharif, who became (laughs) Prime Minister of Pakistan. and came from a Kashmiri family, I seem to recollect. Uh, And more or less... Richard, you, you've done more research on this than me. When Nawaz Sharif was batting, what was the sort of form? Well, we got into trouble. We, you particularly got into trouble uh, in the um, reference you made to his batting in, um, uh, yes. in, in, in Wounded Tiger. <laughs> uh, his staff used to go out into the field. He used to come out and bat at the Hawaii um, Carter Club. His, his staff would be in the field. And um, to quote your phrase, uh, the ball was not so much intercepted as escorted to the boundary. <laughs> Yes, and, and um, they, they, that was a great deal of um And we had a terrible time afterwards, yep. Mm. Um, and uh, I seem to remember the minister, the minister of the Interior or some such would be the umpire, so there was relatively little chance that he'd be given our LBW or caught yeah. behind. And I think if, if he did get bowled by accident, I think the umpire called a retrospective no ball. <laughs> Yeah, if Noah's Sharif comes back into power, we're going to be in trouble again. (laughs) (laughs) We we tried to secure an interview for the next book, the successor, White on Green. We begged for an interview with him. He promised to make amends. We said, um, (laughs) Prime Minister, do tell us your your greatest ever innings. You know, (laughs) he was actually quite. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't give us anything. Wouldn't give us a thing. No, the message came through loud and clear that he was upset by the. the portrayal, accurate portrayal, I hasten to add, of his... Permanently uh, upset, yep. Uh, that said, he was a jolly good cricketer. I mean, there was no doubt about about that. Now, I, we, we need to move on now to another major political figure, Raja Maharaj Singh, who was the oldest ever cricketer, first-class cricketer, that is to say. Uh, you know, I yesterday I spoke to someone who was born in 1945. His name is Mr. Jalaluddin. I think it's uh, important to mention him because uh, 
he his uh, his memory is so strong and i mean he knows everything that has happened in kashmir as far as cricket is concerned and even football so he's an authority on the subject as and i l- sort of benefited from his uh, memory also as far as oral history is concerned so he was uh, talking about that even before 1957 cricket was being played in kashmir and later on in the 60s uh, when the jammu and kashmir produced its own team and it started to participate in ranji mm-hmm. trophy but even before that during the partition days also the cricket was being played here uh, and sometimes the teams would go to punjab Uh, because there was a lot of access to Punjab, Lahore, and people would play cricket, but in an organized form, I think it came in 1957. That is the date that he mentions, and from 60 onwards, uh, the Ranji we have an archive record uh, of the Ranji uh, performances uh, from Jammu and Kashmir cr- cricket team. It's hmm. interesting. There's no record in cricket archive pre-partition of a team actually called Kashmir, so that's that would sort of chime in with it. and um it doesn't seem as though any touring teams ever went to to kashmir until the 1980s when we which will come on to but it, all those english teams that came to india um mostly amateurs in the um pre-partition days in the turn of the century they didn't they didn't seem to go to kashmir except to go shooting rather than to play cricket Yeah I mean even even the maharaja himself was uh, like very famous or you can call he earned notoriety for uh, whenever the britishers would come or or any any guests from you know the british government would come he would take them to duck shooting because he was very fond of shooting the maharaja himself so all uh, he would throw these duck uh, shooting parties uh, for the britishers so that was the kind of uh, you know host that he would play for them but uh, yes you are absolutely right that in uh, in terms of organized cricket and uh, you know the recorded cricket we don't have any evidence of uh, jammu and kashmir cricket team as such uh, before uh, um, and until 19 late 1950s it was like sort of you know only once uh, the two countries india and pakistan came into being and once things settled down after the partition violence then we had uh, some uh, you know form of cricket in an organized manner i can't resist saying that although the maharaja was never out for a duck he often went out for duck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. richard you're um <laughs> It gets worse and worse, Richard. Well, that was just that was a bit of a long hop. I had to hit that one. Yeah. Um, in 1960 to 61 was Jammu and Kashmir's first appearance in the Ranji Trophy in India, was it? Wasn't it? Yes. When did you first? Uh, how successful was this? Was was Jammu and Kashmir? at that in those years uh, nothing much was achieved because the teams in Punjab and in Delhi were much stronger. and mostly uh, the uh, players who were involved in the jammu and kashmir cricket team came from the pandit community which is the hindu community uh, kashmiri pandit community and they represented jammu and kashmir because they were like they were only 4% of the total population but since they enjoyed you know proximity to the corridors of power so mostly they you would hear the names from the kashmiri pandit community who represented kashmir in those years so you're saying that the The early first-class teams in Kashmir were Hindu teams, which is only a very small minority of the population. When did the Muslims and what made get involved, and what made them do so? I think uh, this was uh, there was a name called uh, Chetram Chopra from Jammu region, not from the Kashmir Valley, but from the Jammu region. His name was uh, Chetram Chopra, who later became a selector. 
and also there were names like uh, Kamal Sethi basically you would hear names from jammu region or from the kashmiri pandit community but it was only in the later uh, part of the uh, 70th 1970s when uh, kashmiri muslim names started surfacing and then there was this guy uh, named abdur rauf a uh, tall lanky guy who bishan singh bedi has said about him that if there was one day cricket or t20 cricket then he would have been all and all cut out for that form of cricket because he had hit bishan singh bedi so hard uh, during uh, an encounter that he expressed his desire that this guy should have played at a much higher uh, higher level so uh, then uh, the 80s the decade of 80s and 90s this uh, these are the decades when kashmiri muslim participation not only increased but also started uh, making a name for itself i would give you an example um, uh, there is a lot of talk about who represented uh, the indian team from kashmir or, or from jammu and kashmir so uh, we hear names like parvez rasool for example in the recent years but there was this guy uh, his name was vivek razdan again A, a guy from the Kashmiri Pandit community who uh, represented Indian cricket team as a fast bowler, uh, Vivek Razdan, and there's another uh, from the Kashmiri Pandit community. His name is Siddharth Kaul. His father used to play with the guy which I mentioned, Mr. Jalaluddin, who has himself played uh, cricket and has a great memory and is born 1945 born. So these uh, Kauls. and razdans these are the pandit kashmiri pandit community but from the muslim community if uh, anyone who played international cricket for the first time was tahir nakash and tahir nakash actually represented pakistan he played for pakistan because their family had migrated to pakistan from kashmir and they're like from my place it's only 6 7 kilometers where actually nakash family used to live in srinagar it's an area called safakadal uh which is in the downtown heart of downtown where this nakash family would reside and then la- they later migrated to pakistan and this boy tahir nakash went on to play for pakistan in tests and one days fast bowler yeah did um kashmiri's pa- television came to pakistan in the late 70s and i just wondered if kashmiri's had managed to get any access you know to television coverage the pakistan team in that period when it started to be successful and whether that had, had any influence on them it was uh, it was not a, not an easy thing to have access to pakistan television because at the time in the late 60s uh, in the, in the mid 60s there was a government headed by one mr gulam mohammad bakshi who was installed as prime minister in jammu and kashmir after sheikh abdullah uh, you know was dismissed as a prime minister and later jailed for 22 years in separate stints and that time interestingly there was a brigade called peace brigade they had given it an interesting name peace brigade which actually used to keep a keep a watch on any family that would uh, e- either listen to pakistan radio or watch pakistan television channels and then they would be penalized and beaten so it came at a risk but yes there was lot of following of uh, pakistan cricket with antenna people will uh, move up to the rooftops to fix the antenna to watch uh, cricket or to listen to the radio commentary wherever the international cricket matches were played so there was lot of following on radio and television i suppose one's got to ask i mean who uh, who did kashmiri support did they mainly support did they support india or did they was it was there an element of supporting pakistan uh it's i think uh, always pakistan always pakistan
Well, that takes us on to the first international match in um, they had in Kashmir, doesn't it? In Srinagar in nineteen eighty-three, India played a one-day international there against the West Indies, and um, Sunil Gavaskar famously said it was it was like playing away. It was the most hostile atmosphere he'd, he'd ever encountered. Uh, in fact, in his book, uh, which is Runs and Ruins, he mentions in detail that once the Indian contingent started to warm up. And uh, they were in the ground at Sheri Kashmir International Cricket Stadium. Uh, once they started to warm up, they they saw the crowd, which act- actually the uh, pitch had been dug uh, dug by uh, some protesters in Kashmir, and they were then arrested. And these those cases uh, were running until uh, very recently. Uh, Mr. Shaukat Bakshi, one guy who uh, was responsible for uh, that kind of a protest, because uh, the Kashmiri the argument was that Kashmir uh, being a disputed territory, we could not hold international uh, you know matches here. So b- since the nature of the dispute is such that both India and Pakistan have claims over the region, so how could one team claim to play on this turf? So that was the protesters' argument, and then Gavaskar mentions in detail that once the West Indians came to you know loosen up and do the warm up exercises uh, there was huge uh, you know uh, ro- they were rooting for the west indian cricketers the kashmiri supporters and they were hooting the indian uh, contingent so he said that i was confused why would you know i would have understood if that was we were playing against pakistan so that kind of support he would have understood but he did not understand that even the west indians were cheered so that is what he mentions in runs and ruins i think that has never changed even if today a match is played it will even if zimbabwe comes to play against india uh, there will be the same atmosphere Clive Lloyd, who was captain of the West Indies in this notable match, said that West Indies felt as if they were playing at home. Yeah. And um, it, it, there were sort of cries of Pakistan Zindabad yeah, yeah, yeah. up with Pakistan in the um, in the crowd and a huge poster of Imran Khan, who was then the opening bowler and star batsman for Pakistan. Future, now, now, of course, the prime minister was hang, hung from one of the maple trees on the flanks of the stadium. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you know if you have come to Kashmir and uh, you know seen this ground, it is surrounded by these maple trees, which are called chinar. These are chinar trees, like five hundred, six hundred year old chinar trees. Uh, it's a majestic, you know, landscape there. Uh, sir, the entire stadium is surrounded by these maple trees, and it has big leaves. And uh, it's absolutely correct that people would almost worship uh, the likes of Imran Khan, not only in Kashmir. I mean, uh, as a side, um, moving away from the what we are discussing, I have been to West Bengal many a time, even to Hyderabad, Indian state, southern Indian state. I have seen in many Indian homes posters of players like Vaseem Akram, Shahid Afridi, Imran Khan. So there's a huge following in some pockets of India as well, where there's huge following of players like Imran Khan and Javed Miyadad as well. So that's not surprising. They had one other one-day international, didn't they, some years later, 1986. Yes. And it was won by Australia by six wickets. And did they... Did most of the crowd sport Australia as as well? It is it is a match when I was about six seven years old. I remember this match because I went to a friend's place, uh, and I watched this. I you know vividly recall uh, Alan Border captaining the side, and uh, obviously the scenes were same that uh, the Kashmiri supporters who were inside the stadium. Not many were actually allowed because of uh, the expected trouble, but whoever got in supported the Australians. 
So mm. that is that is the story. Yeah, very it's very very reminiscent of um, you know the non-white spectators in the cage, isn't it? Sporting South Africans, uh, South Africa's opponents in, in under apartheid. Yes. One other interesting cricket match took place, I think, in Molana in Jammu, the women's Test match. Tell us about that, and tell us a little bit about women's cricket in Jammu Kashmir. I think uh, as far as uh, women's pa- women participation in cricket is concerned, it's not that great. I mean, uh, it would be a lie if I say that uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm. I think in other sports like rugby and uh, taekwondo and karate and even in other sports, uh, women do participate. But in cricket, there is still, I mean, it's a work in progress. And there's a lot to be desired and partly because of the circumstances that we are under for the last 30 years and partly uh, because there has been this association, cricket association has uh, been surrounded by corruption of scandals and it has always been involved in one or the other kind of controversy, very political. It has been run by politicians and there has always been this club clout and that has not actually, uh, there's not been a professional atmosphere wherein there would be level playing field for all the genders. So in that case, I think at school level, yes, I mean, in girls school like Koti Bagh or women's college and Nawakadal College, which is in Srinagar, uh, girls do play, but these are inter-school tournaments, but not at the very highest level. But I think it's a work in progress and lot is uh, left to be desired. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very sad that we don't have many women playing cricket. Can you just tell us very briefly how is Kashmir administered now, and how the you know, how the division of Kashmir affects ordinary life there? Uh, as far as uh, this part is concerned, where I live, uh, it is currently directly administered by uh, the Narendra Modi-led. Uh, Uh, union government, central government. It is under direct rule of New Delhi. So everything is uh, being decided by New Delhi. And we don't have a a local government here since June 2018. So for the last uh, two years almost, uh, we are without an elected government. And it is now being declared a union territory, which is like this This is directly under control of Delhi, uh, where the MHA, Ministry of Home Affairs, uh, deals with the law and order and everything. Uh, so we have, instead of a governor, now we have lieutenant governor. And instead of MLAs, who used to be me- uh, members of legislative assembly, there is no assembly right now. And there are no local representatives. So it's directly controlled by Delhi. But even before that, I mean, uh, there's one part which is administered by Pakistan since 1947 when the partition happened. And uh, in this part of Kashmir, we had certain arrangements uh, with the government of India, uh, which was through Delhi Agreement. And Delhi Agreement was that actually the Legislative Assembly of Jammu and Kashmir would have the power to elect its members And only certain laws of India uh, would apply, which would include communications, uh, foreign policy and defense. And barring that, everything else will be uh, run by the Kashmiris themselves. But that changed in the uh, mid-60s when uh, the Sadre Riyasat uh, in Urdu, which is an equivalent of governor or president, uh, was changed and reduced to governor only. And uh, the post of prime minister Kashmir had its separate prime ministers like Sheikh Abdullah, Bakshi Gulam Mahmud, Sadiq Gulam Mahmud and uh, Ramchand Kak, a Kashmiri Pandit. Uh, so then uh, prime minister's post became chief minister. So that arrangement would run through uh, legislative assembly. And currently, uh, you know, on a larger scale, both parts uh, are uh, actually run by uh, the Pakistani administration in Pakistan and the Indian uh, you know, controlled uh, 
uh, here in in this part of Kashmir. So there's less and less representation. Even symbolic representation has gone since uh, August 2019. I'm very uh, aware of the very profound consequences for everyday life. What have been the consequences of this later situation for cricket in Kashmir? I mean, uh, there is, uh, you know, I, I because since this program is mostly about cricket, I, I want to stick uh, with that. I mean, I think as far as uh, cricketers are concerned, there's a lot of this dilemma about uh, what to do with one's career. Like if you are immensely talented as a cricketer and then your identity being a Kashmiri and this whole, uh, uh, you know, legacy of the dispute and this uh, psychological burden that the political uh, uncertainty, uh, the questions of political uncertainty remain unresolved despite the UN resolutions, despite India and Pakistan coming to the table, negotiating table, and having had many bilateral agreements in terms of Simla agreement or Tashkent agreement. So still the political question uh, has not been resolved in the last 70 years. So that question is actually also on the mind of a cricketer. That once you play, uh, I gave you an example of Tahir Nakash. So one Kashmiri went on to represent Pakistani national team. And another cricketer like Parvez Rasool or Vivek Razdan, they went on to represent Indian cricket team. But this identity uh, you know, question always remains. And then uh, the manner in which cricket is being run uh, right now, directly a, a retired police officer who does not have a good reputation is running the cricketing affairs in Kashmir. So there's less and less participation of ex-cricketers in the uh, in the Jammu and Kashmir Cricket Association. And even before that, it was mostly politically uh, dominated. The chief minister would uh, decide. Chief minister would normally be the president of the Jammu and Kashmir Cricket Association. And then any club which was in power would uh, decide about the fate, who, which, which club uh, will have more representation in the team that will represent uh, Jammu and Kashmir at the Ranji level. And then there is also this Jammu versus Kashmir. How many from Jammu will go? And earlier it used to be Ladakh. Uh, since Ladakh does not have a, a much of a population, Ladakh region has roughly 3 lakh population, 300,000. So they, they are not uh, also, they, uh, they do not play cricket as, uh, as uh, the people in Kashmir do. So this has always remained uh, a very, very tricky question for any cricketer from uh, the Kashmir Valley in particular. To tell us about the, I mean, Pervez Rasul, who was the first Kashmiri-born player to represent India, though in ODIs, not test matches, and the first to play in the IPL. You, you're talking about the kind of conflict of loyalties which that kind of decision involves uh, and I mean, how he's seen in India. In, in fact, uh, for Parvez Rasool, uh, he was the first Kashmiri Muslim uh, to represent Indian cricket team. But he was not the first Kashmiri as such because before him, they were Kashmiri Hindus. As I mentioned, uh, the names like Vivek Razdan or Siddharth Kaul or even Suresh Raina. Uh, Suresh Raina, who played cricket for India in both tests and T20s as well as ODIs. But his family had migrated to Uttar Pradesh, India's state of Uttar Pradesh, you know, two, three generations ago. So he was uh, sort of, uh, he born and brought up in Uttar Pradesh. Uh, but yes, I mean, uh, once uh, Parvez Rasool went to uh, do practice uh, at uh, a Bangalore stadium and uh, he was stopped there and he was uh, like frisked, after being frisked, uh, they found something in his bag and they uh, the first news that uh, you know came out was that there were explosives in his bag which were which was obviously not the case he was a cricketer and he remains a cricketer so uh, 
because he carried a, a religious book uh, with him and then uh, he just only managed to play one odi for uh, india and then he has been like you know there was much uh, pomp and show and uh, you know propaganda about him being selected but it was a one off thing then came other players like uh, rasik salam and uh, another one manzoor pandav and more recently a guy from jammu region abdul samad who represented um, sunrisers hyderabad in the ipl indian premier league uh, but this has been the story that uh, once you hear the name one name in one season and next season that person is gone and it has actually politically uh, this has also been milked so much that now this is an opportunity for you but the next season the player is gone from the scene from the public memory it's only a symbolic kind of representation that does not translate into something very very big pavaz rasool is now captain of jammu and kashmir in the ranchi yes. trophy isn't he but i've noticed in some local media he was attacked quite strongly for his supposed influence over jammu and kashmir cricket was this some sort of normal factional politics or is there something some deeper agenda to it no i think if i remember correctly parvez has played 82 first class games for jammu and kashmir at the ranji level and he's about to complete his 5000 runs uh, at the ranji level and he has about more than 200 wickets in one day he has done well uh, the list a uh, but i think why people are kind of criticizing him is primarily because of the political thing you know right now we are in, uh, under administration of lg lieutenant governor and it is directly being controlled by delhi so once they see parvez rasool meeting uh, those political representatives uh, which are not liked by the kashmiri population where even the entire pro india leadership has been kind of sidelined the likes of umar abdullah farooq abdullah or mehbooba mufti who would uh, who have served as chief ministers so when everybody else is in jail for example who were detained put under house detention and other ideological forces challenged so when this guy the press releases come from the official you know department of public relations that this guy is meeting this and this uh, man uh, in the administration and as a cricket captain i think his role uh, they they question the role and the um, influence that he wields uh just being a captain that any question that has to be asked of jammu and kashmir cricket association it is the it is parvez rasool who is answering and he is controlling the selection that is the perception that people uh, that many cricketers have raised ex cricketers and also his colleagues who have played with him they are saying that he uh, enjoys tremendous influence over selection matters over jkca jammu and kashmir cricket association matters and over other matters as well so now i think uh, some 13 uh, 12 13 cricketers have written a memorandum and made a representation against him collectively that there have been lot of uh, you know discrepancy in selection that he has actually uh, helped his some of his uh, friends that is the allegation uh, and uh, srinagar and other regions have been kind of ignored and he continues to enjoy uh, with there's a word in hindi ashirwad uh, the patronage of the powers that be so that is the entire controversy these are the allegations that are being thrown at him okay that's quite a familiar story isn't it in <laughs> indian and and we as we know in pakistani cricket And too. indeed, in English cricket, Richard. In England, yes, <laughs> yeah, fair that's yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but on his part, he says that he's just trying to build a team for the future, and he's trying to uh, build a team that will actually uh, give results in years to come, and he's following the processes. But his 
cricketers are not agreeing with what he's saying. So there's a lot of chasm between what is being said and what is being done. In the current uh, England series, by the way, uh, I imagine that Kashmir, Kashmiris don't have particularly fond memories of the British. Who would they be supporting? Uh, England or India? Always England. Or nobody, Always. just watching it as a sort of detached observer. No, the, no Kashmiri from the Kashmir Valley is ever a detached observer when it comes to cricket. <laughs> Uh, when it is about India and Pakistan, it is always war minus the shooting. And when it is about uh, India versus other teams, the loyalty always lie with the other team. Strangely, I would uh, give you an example that in Meerut city, uh, which is not far from Delhi, 50 kilometers from Delhi, uh, there were Kashmiri students who, were, who had gone there on a scholarship and all of them had cheered for Pakistani cricket team in, during an Asia Cup game when Shahid Afridi hit two consecutive sixes of Ravi Chandran Ashwin, who bowls off spin and won the match for Pakistan. So they obviously, uh, you know, celebrated and all of them uh, were charged with sedition and cases were registered against them and they were sent back home. Their scholarships were cancelled and mm-hmm. uh, their admissions were cancelled. So it is a story, even in like, you know, uh, uh, we had this first test match at Chennai. So um, Kashmiris uh, I spoke to and uh, the cricketers I spoke to, they were thrilled when Joe Root scored a double 100, Stokes <laughs> uh, scored 80 odd and won the match very comfortably. And James Anderson was in, uh, you know, as, as he was a youngster playing like an 18 year old, you know, he's 38, by the way. Uh, but um, they were surprised that people uh, on social media pages write their favorite 11. What, uh, what 11 England should play be playing in the second ma- second test or third or fourth test and they were quite surprised when Johnny Besto was not included in the squad because of this stupid rotation policy they were aghast when Muin Ali was sent back home they were uh, surprised why uh, Butler a pl- who plays spin so well and has experience of IPL why these players are not included in the playing 11 and why England almost fielded a B team uh, in the second Chennai test I don't think that the Kashmiri Cricket fans are alone in their bafflement at the decision to send Butler home and Moeen away and so on. It's uh, There is something rum going on. Does Moeen have any special following in, in Kashmir? Is his family's of Kashmiri origin? Yes, a lot of, lot of following. I think he is uh, one of the most respected cricketers as an international uh, cricketer because I think he has five uh, or six centuries in tests uh, for England. Uh, I have, he has played some 60-odd uh, test matches for England. And he is a wicket-taker. I mean, every time he plays against India and bowls off spin, I think he does uh, well, although very inconsistent uh, in other, uh, you know, uh, areas and uh, when when England play other teams, but in terms when it comes to spin bowling, I think uh, even in the last test he took about eight wickets for each in two eight innings, wickets. and he got Kohli in each innings. Yes, didn't he? Uh, and the first one was a peach when Kohli mm. didn't know and he didn't believe himself how he was uh, bowled through the gate. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to stay. He was yes. so annoyed. <laughs> Talking of Kohli, I've re- read in in. Um, media coverage of Kashmir cricket, there are posters of Kohli and also MS Dhoni in military uniform, aren't there, in, in Kashmir? How, how's that received? How are those posters Because received? that's why, I mean, MS Dhoni as a cricketer, you know, for a neutral observer, MS Dhoni was uh, one of the greatest finishers of, of, of the white ball cricket, ODIs or T20s. But once uh, he was given the status of honorary colonel, in the Indian Army, and he came to Kashmir 
and uh, uh, was seen with the Indian Army, his fan following dropped significantly and people started questioning his uh, motives that why he is making a political statement. And even like if you go to South Kashmir, uh, normally just three, four years ago, they would you would see posters of Afridi, uh, Imran Khan, Wasim Akram, Waka Yunus, but not any poster of Indian cricketer. But because now there is so much of militarization and so much of uh, pressure on, on the local population that uh, they put up these banners themselves uh, and, and then keep a watch on them so that nobody is actually allowed to do what uh, he or she wants to do. So it's now more of uh, pressure tactics and imposed kind of propaganda that you have to do this. And Bijbihara, from where Parvez Rasul actually comes uh, from, is a region which is also famous for making manufacturing cricket bats. Uh, the Kashmir Willow comes from the same uh, area, which is in South Kashmir, just roughly 60 kilometers from where I live. It is uh, very popular among uh, all the people for Kashmir Willow and they make bats, but there are no factories here. They're usually, uh, they go to Jalandhar in Punjab and other areas where they are then assembled. And But uh, the Willow is from Kashmir. Do they send any of the Willow to Sialkot across the, the line to where the, which is the center of cricket bat manufacturing in Pakistan? Uh, I, I'm not sure, like, uh, because a lot of things were not allowed. But uh, I think only uh, in 2005, when Srinagar Muzaffarabad Road was reopened after 58 uh, long years, which which was kind of a biggest CBM, biggest confidence building measure between India and Pakistan, when they finally allowed uh, the divided Kashmiri families to meet each other and also throw uh, you know throw open business opportunities. Uh, where uh, the Kashmiri businessmen would go to the other side of Kashmir and vice versa. And that continued during uh, a civilian government headed by Manmohan Singh in India. And there was military government Parvez Musharraf, led by Parvez Musharraf in Pakistan. And here also there was a government which was a coalition government by Congress and the People's Democratic Party, which is a regional political party. And Mufti Muhammad Saeed was the chief minister. So at that time, in those years, a uh, lot of things happened. Uh, the cross LOC trade, the cross LOC kind of you know, um, uh, you know exchange, academic exchange, and other things. And there were only twenty one items uh, which I remember, uh, which were allowed uh, to be taken or you know accepted from the other side. But I'm not sure that uh, uh, whether uh, Kashmir Willow was one of them. In the Obviously not now, but in the more relaxed years, uh, when the years where there, were, when there was low attention, was there ever any attempt made to create any sort of all Kashmir cricket team or all Kashmir cricketing identity? I think uh, a lot of things happened in a haphazard manner. I think uh, once the diaspora in the United Arab Emirates and the Middle East countries, where a lot of Kashmiris go and uh, they uh, they are as they're working there as engineers or you know businessmen. So they made some kind of attempt. There was one Kashmir Super League, if I remember, KSL, uh, which they uh, the the commentary was done entirely in Kashmiri language, uh, and they then invited a group of forty civilian uh, uh, civil society members from this part of Kashmir to uh, to be in present in Dubai. The matches were played in Dubai International Cricket Stadium. Uh, I was there. Uh, so there were uh, the the names of the teams were given with the downtown names like Bohri Kadal, Srinagar downtown, Ali Kadal. These were the seven bridges. So they gave these local indigenous names to the teams, and there was an attempt 
to kind of portray and and promote Kashmiri identity, Kashmiri language. By the way, tomorrow is the mother tongue uh, day, uh, so uh, the entire commentary was run. But uh, I do, I do not remember that it was done at a massive scale, uh, where uh, both Kashmiris could actually both parts of Kashmiri could have one cricket team. And it was like kind of, you know, there's now another attempt being made in the other side of Pakistan, Pakistan administered Kashmir, where uh, a Kashmir Premier League, KPL, has been thrown open and they have made a, a anthem for that. Uh, there's a song for this uh, Kashmir Premier League where Mirpur and uh, Muzaffar, Muzaffarabad and other teams would play. Uh, but it has happened like, you know, as I said, whatever they have done in their, their part, whatever has been done in this part of the world and that identity issue and the conflict conflict of loyalty, that issue still remains as it was. Are there specific cricket terms in Kashmiri? <laughs> Have they invented any? Like, what's Kashmiri for LBW? <laughs> uh, it, it is LBW in Kashmiri. It is L- there, right, there's no right. name for LBW. Well, go- go- googly, which googly. in Urdu is sort of wicked evil ball or something like that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, googly is... Uh, there, there is one word for the ball that keeps low. Like if you have, if you are batting on a turf wicket and the ball will actually be below the knee height and you would not be able to middle it. So there is a word called gagar uh, in Kashmiri, which is actually equivalent, equivalent of uh, mice, you know. Uh, yeah. So it, it like, you know, like, like the mm. mouse, uh, you know, gives <laughs> like you a that. slip. Like so that. it's it's called gagar. <laughs> yeah. Gagar. Yeah, it's a shooter. Yes. Yeah, Grub- shooter, shooter. Shoot, exactly. Shooter or a yes. grubber even. Yeah. Mm. Tell me about the connections. As you know, there's a very healthy Kashmiri population in Britain, which is very keen on cricket. What sort of connections do you have with them? Absolutely no connection. No? <laughs> no no connection with them. I because... thought the diaspora would return home and you would stay in touch. Uh, we have lots of Kashmiris who have gone from this part of the world to the Middle East or they are in America or in European countries. I know a lot of them, but, uh, you know, um, unfortunately, I don't don't have uh, much of a contact with uh, the other side of Kashmir, uh, which is like uh, there are a lot of Mirpuris. Or, Maybe or, it is in Britain that the majority of Kashmiris, I believe, came from Mirpur, didn't yeah, they, that area? With, after with the that, uh, that population, I do not have any connection, but uh, yeah. th- those Kashmiris who have gone from this side obviously uh, the 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 family friends uh, extended family i know all of them uh, they're mostly in america or in the europe uh, or or in the middle east now tell me is it going to be possible something i would love to do is to take a cricket team of brits to kashmir and uh, to srinagar would that be do you think we could manage that I think I I hope uh, when there are civilian mature civilized democracies I think this question should not have been asked because that is what actually should have been done uh, but I hope because I am an optimist I think uh, the things will uh, change for good and there will be a time when that can become Because it is a such a beautiful country isn't it it's such a famously wonderful part of the world Kashmir it is. It is. I mean, uh, if you see, uh, there's w- once I went to uh, uh, Sheffield and I thought I was in Kashmir, you know, I, I went to it, it's so green. It's so like there's so much ma- so many water bodies, waterfalls, uh, snow clad mountains, the valleys of Gulmarg, Pahalgam, the, the springs 
famous springs and Mughal gardens. It's all green and uh, there are these ecological zones and, and uh, one of the beautiful stadiums, cricket stadiums, which unfortunately is being used less for cricket and more and more for these political rallies. Even the pitch main centre is dug to erect tents for political rallies, such as the state of cricket. Otherwise, a lush what political green... rallies are these which are taking place? Uh, I mean, all, all political... Pa- I mean, from Vajpayee to Mr. Modi to Mr. Manmohan Singh or Sonia Gandhi, whoever has visited Kashmir, they go and, and that, hold... You mean that um, Indian political rallies yes. are taking place? Yeah. In... One because On th- that grounds. that area is considered a security safe zone because it's very close to the Indian Army cantonment uh, where the Indian biggest Indian Army cantonment is there. So that's why they organize these uh, rallies uh, there. Uh, once the Prime Minister of India would come uh, to Kashmir, so these rallies are held in that cricket stadium, which is appalling. I mean, there is there are no cricket tournaments, quality cricket tournaments, professional cricket tournaments being organized, uh, but uh, more more and more political rallies, which which in itself uh, uh, you know tells us a lot about what is happening to cricket in Kashmir. Cricket, even in in other parts of India and Pakistan, there are cricket grounds often get sacrificed, don't they, for political rallies because they're they're ideal for the minister's helicopter to land in, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, hey, but they can afford it because you know, in if if it happens in Pakistan, they have Gaddafi Stadium, they have Karachi National Stadium, they have Faisalabad, they have Rawalpindi venue. Now they have a Gwadar, and there are many stadiums. And similarly in India, you have Delhi, Feroz Shah Kotla, you have Vankhade. In Mumbai, you have Chidambaram Stadium in you know Chennai and uh, Bangalore, uh, Hyderabad, all over. Like so, one if one of the stadiums is sacrificed on any political rally, you can understand. But in Kashmir, we only have one cricket stadium, so that is that is the irony. So you lose it, yes. So you lose the cricket. But I imagine that there's an enormous amount, as there is in uh, India and uh, and Pakistan of tape ball cricket. I've seen wonderful uh, photographs of cricket played on remote mountain passes and uh, in the snow from Kashmir. Uh, so it's, I imagine that's the majority of cricket played in Kashmir. It is, it? it is very popular sport in Kashmir, very popular. I'll give you an example to make you understand how popular it is. We have this famous garden, the Nishat Gardens, uh, which is a Mughal uh, you know, heritage. And uh, once you go up the garden, it has many uh, layers and in the upper part of uh, the Nishad Garden, there is a wonderful cricket pitch where uh, local cricket teams participate and play cricket. And there is one place in Shalimar, which is another Mughal garden. And it is actually on a hilltop. And on a hilltop, people play cricket. And it is uh, ironically called Karachi. <laughs> so they play cricket there. And once... Karachi is quite flat. Look, yeah. when we come on our cricket tour of Kashmir, we're going to play up there. And one more interesting thing, in the Dal Lake, which is a famous lake in Srinagar, uh, on the boulevard, uh, once uh, the mercury dips and it is all frozen, on the frozen lake, uh, these kids play cricket. Uh, it's oh. all minus oh, temperature. Great. Yeah, I would love to join them doing that. That would be. Have you played that? Unfortunately, uh, not not in the Dal Lake, but yes, I have played in all kinds of uh, all and all kinds of pitches from mat to turf cricket on Karachi, you know, on on any sort of cricket ground all over Kashmir, even even on graveyards. Just to add, even on graveyards yes. during the Hartal days, uh, during the curfew days when people are uh, actually uh, in in their homes, I have played a lot of cricket in uh, protests, you know, strike days. 
and once you do you do not have access to main cricket grounds because of the uh, you know political situation so the graveyard would also come handy we would play and one of the um, you know uh, graves gravestones would become uh, the, the stump <laughs> so that would be how, that that was how we played cricket what was an image <laughs> um what sort of you mentioned hopes of change eventually if you're a Kashmiri and you you support change in this present situation, if you want uh, autonomy to be restored or even independence or or even, dare I say it, union with Pakistan, what opportunity do you have to express any of these choices politically? Are any political parties you know, uh, or, or, uh, promising this kind of um, I program? think uh, the best answer to this would be that when these... Um, uh, 22 or 24 foreign envoys came to Kashmir on a recent trip, which was their third since 2019. They were not even allowed to meet the former chief ministers of Jammu and Kashmir, which include Omar Abdullah, Mehbuba Mufti and Farooq Abdullah. These are the three chief pro-India chief ministers, pro-India political parties, and the foreign envoys were not even allowed to meet them. So that tells you about the kind of atmosphere that is there. Uh, as far as the civil liberties are concerned, civil liberties are curtailed. As I said, uh, I think in the opening remarks, there is no freedom before expression. There is no freedom of expression. There is no freedom after expression. So, uh, and the state of media is that uh, when everything was shut in Kashmir, there was no internet and there were all kind of atrocities happening. The newspapers would not publish anything to report what was happening in Kashmir. But they were publishing editorials on how to make salad and how cucumber <laughs> was good for health and what was happening in Cambodia or Sarajevo, but not what was happening in Kashmir. So that was the kind of oppression. So in this uh, uh, atmosphere, uh, as far as the civil liberties are concerned, media freedoms are concerned and political freedoms are concerned, I think uh, we, on a scale of 10, we are in the minus category. So uh, th that how bad the situation is. Yeah, everything comes at a cost. We have had like 40 journalists being summoned uh, to police stations and cases registered against 12 of them, uh, which include terrorism cases and a uh, lot of uh, like the now the fair is uh, fair has set so much deep into psyche of uh, editors and uh, politicians that even when 4G was restored, it was seen as a blessing. I mean, whatever you see. Uh, normal, uh, like in England, in London, they, they would never, people would not understand what 550 day internet shutdown would mean. Even if you would order uh, for a pizza re reach five minutes late, you would be aghast. So imagine a situation where you would be without internet for 550 days. So in that sort of, at in that sort of atmosphere, <laughs> one of the um, few ways you can express any hope for change, isn't it, is to support the <laughs> whoever's not Whoever's playing India is to support <laughs> India's opponents, isn't it? <laughs> so also, also interestingly, I mean, when there are social media debates, uh, when when there was little freedom, like four, five, six years ago, uh, some some semblance of normalcy was there. So always the Indian fans would say, "Look, uh, you know, Virat Kohli scored one eighty three in cricket." So the response from the Kashmiris would be, but Afridi scored the fastest century in 37 balls. So they would say, now we have MS Dhoni. He did this. He hit the six to win 2011 World Cup. But the response from Kashmiris would be, but who bowled the fastest cricket ball? It is Shoaib Akhtar, 160 miles per hour. So these kind of debates would happen on social media.
Well, so cricket's become a sort of proxy for political. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. mm. Well, you've you've instructed Richard and I, and I think everybody who listens to this podcast about so much, uh, including the difficulty of political expression in, in Kashmir. But you have expressed quite beautifully the experience of being a cricket lover in Kashmir and told us so much about the history of cricket in that in your beautiful country. Thank you so much indeed, Goha, for coming on our podcast. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you, Richard, and all. Uh, it's been wonderful to be with you. And I hope to see you again. Uh, if I'm allowed to travel again, I would love to see you in London or you come to Srinagar and we would meet. Well, after your descriptions, Goha, we'd love to come to Kashmir. And um, certainly, I'm sure listeners everywhere would join us in giving our very best wishes to you know all the cricket players and all the cricket lovers in, in Kashmir and, and hope that whatever happens, they have better times. Inshallah, yeah. And um, we're very glad to hear from listeners at any time, but we, we'd be particularly glad to hear from them in the next few weeks as to their, who do they think um, should be Wisdom's five cricketers of the year? Because we're going to be reviewing Wisdom, uh, both in prospect and after it's published. We'd love to hear listeners' nominations and um, compare them with the five actually chosen by Wisdom. So if you do have any thoughts on Wisdom's Five for the Year, please send them to our dedicated email, which is obornhellacricket, or one word, at outlook.com. In the meantime, it's uh, goodbye from me, Peter Oborn, in Wiltshire, where it stopped raining. Uh-huh. Um, it's goodbye from me, Richard Heller, in southeast London, where it's sunny and it's warmed up a little bit. <laughs>